This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 544 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, TotalSaddleFit.com, Herm Springer, and Bates Saddles. On today's episode, we will be joined by USDF President Lisa Garetta, as well as Volunteer of the Year and Sport Horse Committee Co-Chair Christy Waisaki. We also have Bidding Specialist Vivian Schmidt. Reese Coppler Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Phil. How are you? Uh, I'm a little tired, Reese, but I'm doing good. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I get it. Well, I, I am fresh off the convention in Savannah, Georgia, and it was a great time in, in a beautiful city. If, if you've ever been to Savannah or if you haven't, you should go. It's beautiful. I just feel like we scratched the surface. We didn't have a lot of time to go to meetings, but it, I mean, to, because of meetings to go to the city, but uh, it was a great place. And so we have a uh, the this USDF episode is really based on convention and what happened. There was a lot that went on there. Uh, so it was really fun to be there. So we're going to get right to it. But Phil, you have one announcement for us, right? Well, and keeping with the USDF theme, I guess we should highlight the the USDF FEI level trainers conference is, is happening in Loxahatchee, Florida on January 20th to the 21st. They will be featuring Ann Gribbins, Ashley Holzer, Lars Peterson, and Gary Walkwell. So that's a stacked lineup of presenters, and, and it's a great time. I've been once or twice taking the trip down. I think I will this year. So I think everybody who can should come yeah, and, we will and, be there. And, and audit this. Yeah. Well, we'll be there. We'll also cover it for the radio show, so we're 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 looking really forward to it. Uh, but we would enjoy if you for sure come and say hi to us. We always like that. Perfect. Well, we've got a great show. We're going to start just with a couple commercial breaks. Uh, we're going to have a commercial break from USDF and then Kentucky Performance Products. And then we will come back with President of USDF, Lisa Greta, on her State of the Union. Founded in 1973, the United States Dressage Federation has become the largest organization to represent a single Olympic equestrian discipline. At nearly 30,000 members strong, USDF is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org to learn more about USDF education, competition and award programs, and to shop our online store. Again, that's usdf.org, your online destination for dressage. They had been together for years, since he was just a colt. When he got stubborn, she would gently coax him on. When he got scared, she would reassure him and stroke him gently on the neck. She spent hours building his confidence, his strength, his balance, teaching him to dance. Pirouette, passage, piaf, the final salute. The crowd jumped to its feet and cheered. It was the moment that it's been a lifetime training for. But all she could think about was how special he was and how she loved him. This love story is brought to you by Endure Extra. Providing high-fat calories, direct-fed microbials, and natural vitamin E to support optimal condition and performance. The horse that matters to you matters to Kentucky Performance Products. 
call 859-873-2974 or visit kppusa.com to order today. Well, tonight for our USDF episode, we are so happy to have USDF president and USEF co-chair of Dressage Sport Committee, Lisa Garetta, on the phone. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's good to be back. Oh my gosh! I don't know how we were. We were all at convention last week, and and you have I, I have a minor role, and you have a very large role, and I'm so thankful you could come tonight because I would be sleeping still, honestly. Well, no, I I had to come back and go right to work. <laughs> I know that. That's all right. Yeah, well, Lisa, sure. we we wanted to do kind of a state of the union of what happened at convention and kind of some of the things that are that are coming down the pike or, or that you felt was really important from convention. So I'm just going to let you take it away. Okay, well, thank you. It was an interesting annual meeting for me, my first as USDF president. And of course, we were in lovely Savannah back after a 21-year absence for USDF. And I thought the meeting went really well. Uh, we had great hosts. Region 3 and our host GMO, Georgia Dressage and Combined Training Association, um, their membership could not have been nicer and uh, through a great party. And well, I'm, I really didn't want to go back to the 70s. Everyone seemed to have a really great time. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was nice. Lots of people on the dance floor. So it's good to know they can dance with or without their horses. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a great meeting. Um, so the... Committees have worked really well. I think the, the host venue of the Weston was really yeah. a nice place for us to have the meeting. And, and a couple of people who didn't have to go to meetings, uh, I did oh, yeah. identify <laughs> with them. But a couple of people, I, I heard about people going over to Savannah and enjoying the city. So. <laughs> but those of us who were toiling away in the the meetings had, had a good one. I think you know, for the Board of Governors meeting, like like most amateur competitors, I, at the end of the first day, I felt that I'd kind of left my best test in the warm-up ring. But I got my act back together a little bit uh, for the second Board of Governors meeting, which I thought, at least I felt, rolled a little more smoothly. So, Yes, it did, um, for the, sure. It was yeah. good. It was good. I was in there. It was oh, good. Okay. <laughs> that is a very long meeting, and it's basically like Congress, but there's voting and uh, the regions and, and, it, and it's a production. It's, it's, it's not, if you've never been, it's worth going, but I can't imagine leading it. I'm just sitting in it. So you did a well, great job. You know, it's, it's a fascinating organization because it has a very robust committee structure. So all the committees have, have their individual meetings. And then a lot of them, they get together and have joint meetings. I know the technical delegates and competition managers had a big open forum and there were um, we had a large open rule change forum, which was a little different for us. We've always had that, but the mm-hmm. system is a little different now. I'll get back to that in a second. So it's a great opportunity because any member of USDF can come and, and listen to all of that and get involved and speak up and stand to give their opinion for any of the meetings. And you know, we're, we're very much, as you said, like Congress, it's a democratic organization, but it's a representative based organization as the United States is. We have our our delegates from our group member organizations and we have elected PM delegates who are charged with representing their um, multiple thousands of individual PM members. So they're all elected by region. So they all carry votes depending upon the voting strength of their region. So it's, it's a very democratic through representative 
delegate system. It's cumbersome. It's a little more cumbersome than most of the other affiliates, for one thing, because we're so much larger than most of the other affiliates. But it's served us well for half a century plus. So yes, yeah, absolutely. It seems to work well. Yes, absolutely. So what were some of the big highlights? Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the biggest ones actually was a change in the way we are dealing with competition rule changes from U.S. Equestrian Federation. In the past, at the time of our meeting in the very beginning of December, we normally have about two weeks to get everything back and get all of our feedback and get everything aligned. And then the voting always happened in January at the U.S. EF meeting. Uh, last summer, they changed their whole structure of, and timeline for rules. So this year at the Open Rules Forum, we discussed some current rule change proposals that are already in the traditional system. And we had an opportunity to discuss a lot of things that are not even into the system yet, although they are current items for discussion. So it, it was a little more complex getting the word out. I sent a couple letters out um, to the, our voting delegates and committee people about the new system. But the way it works now is the feedback that will come that I requested um, that will come back either to USDF, hopefully by the end of the year, or individual USEF members can also give their rule change feedback to directly to the dressage department. But we will be reviewing all the feedback. We've, we have a new working group that that is charged with going over that information with staff and then they'll collate it and send it out to any committees that still have to be consulted for their feedback. And then it will go back to the executive board for uh, creation of a USDF affiliate opinion about rule change proposals. That won't go into the official system until the 1st of March instead of January. And then everybody else in U.S. Equestrian will have their opportunity to give feedback on it. And the actual voting will be in the summertime rather than January. It'll be in the summertime at the mid-year meeting for U.S. EF. And then it will still have its normal effective date of 12-1, which is the beginning of the U.S. Equestrian Federation competition year. Right. And that was more more complex. Yes. But, help, but, but meant to be more feedback related, right? That, that, yeah. that you know, voters and, and all the membership has an ability to look at the rule changes. You do have to read them. You know, sometimes they yeah. come out and people don't read them. And so if people want to read them, is there a website they can go to take a look Actually, at that? They can, go, yeah, they can go right to the USEF website. There's a right on the front page, right front and center. Yeah. It says rule changes and from there, it's very easy to click through to the already identified active rule changes if you're a rule follower or at least a rule change follower. You're used to the tracking numbers, and that's how they identify them. But then there's a separate link to the active proposals that aren't even into the system yet. And that's, as an affiliate for Dressage and for all the other affiliates, this is a real change in the control of how things are determined and how things are discussed. And so it's going to take us a little while, I think, to be not quite so reactionary, but to be a little more thoughtful and debate-driven and come up with decisions that work for 
the sport nationally in local, regional, national way. So there's there's going to be a little bit of a learning time, I'm sure, but I think it will yeah. be good. Yeah, so a little if, adjustment. If but... anybody, uh, if any USDF member, once they click on that, they want to go there and they want to give feedback to USDF, it's very simple. We set up a, a special email address. So it's rule change feedback, all one word, at usdf.org. And then, of course, any U.S. Equestrian Federation member can also give their feedback to the dressage department, to um, Hannah Nabielski, which I can spell if you I, yes. I can spell it well now. <laughs> you can spell so, it well. <laughs> I can, yeah. It's, it's H. Nabielski, which is N-I-E-B-I-E-L-S-K-I at usef.org. So they can also give direct feedback to U.S. Equestrian, but if they want to make it easy, just do it to rule change feedback at usdf.org. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be really good for us. And by 2021, we'll have knocked. Yeah, exactly. One, one cycle and then everyone will understand and it'll be, it'll be good. Absolutely. And and we also have a new vice president, right? We do. We have our first uh, national representative from the West coast in quite a while. Um, Kevin Reinig was elected vice president. He is just finishing his service as the president of CDS, California Dressage Society. So he decided he was ready to give up that position and step up and serve us all nationally. So I think that will be an an exciting change. He has a lot of energy. He's Although he's new to the national scene as far as the executive board, he's served on some task forces and been active in committees, been active in a lot of programs. And of course, CDS is is very active in the sport, both at the smaller chapter level, which is for most of us kind of like a GMO, um, yeah. all the way up to the larger umbrella organization of CDS. So I'm looking forward to working with him. Like, so is the rest of the executive board. Fantastic. He seems like a very nice, nice individual for sure. And were there any other, any other rule change? There were some age division discussions, correct? Well, now there are a couple of new proposals and those are the ones that uh, I just mentioned that are not, they're active, but they're not yet in the rule change system yet. Uh, one was a proposal that came from actually the board of governors a year, or it might be two, it seems like it's it's been working on it for a long time. But we had a task force that went through looking at whether or not the dressage division was ready to embark upon a change in in the age groups for youth. You know, the, the hunter jumpers just deal with under 13 and 14 through 17, and then at 18, you're an adult and an amateur, and off you go. As an international discipline, dressage is a little different. We have, of course... Everyone up through the age of 21 is still a youth. And if they're doing the FEI tests, then there are specific age groups for ponies, children's, juniors, and young riders, who we traditionally, of course, are used to dealing with for um, what was NAJYRC and is now NAYC. <laughs> so this proposal is based more on physical and cognitive development of youth. So the proposal that came forward from this task force, which is still kind of in rough draft form, it's not in its rule change, final rule change form yet. But the proposal now is to split their youth riders into uh, through 15 and then 16 through 21. So that would be for all of our 
national dressage competitions at national levels. So this would only apply to training through fourth level. Got so it. The, the thing that we have to be careful is that we don't get our competitions so complicated that competition management and competitors can't figure out what they're doing. And we have to be a little careful that we don't put somebody in a, having to go through the one from column A, one from column B, one from column C to figure out what classes they're in. But that the basic topic, I think, is very interesting because right now it is true that you can have somebody who's you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 competing in the same class as a 19, 20, 21-year-old. Right, right, for sure. So, yeah. yeah, so that's a big one. And it's interesting because at the same time we were dealing with this one, we had a totally separate proposal from a group of adult amateurs that would like us to consider splitting our adult amateur classes into two age groups, like, again, so many of our other divisions. But we have, we've always been one adult amateur, and, and they would have proposed that we create a split at 55. Again, this is not in rule changes yet, because right. this is a brand new proposal, but we'll be looking at this one, too, to see how it works with the numbers, competition numbers, um, how it works with our Vintage Cup, which is actually at a different age. So that's, that's age 50. Yeah. So. Fantastic. Well, as everybody can hear, it was it was a yeah. busy week, and uh, it was very complex as well. I think that's the one thing that I've yeah. learned by going to the, to the meetings. It, it, you may propose something, but it may it may have a snowball effect. And, and Lisa, you just do such an amazing job as president of the organization, kind of making sure that all, all works, and we really appreciate it. And uh, we thank you so much for your time. You've been so busy and traveling and in Savannah, and we really thank you for your time and all that you do for the organization. We all really appreciate it. Well, it's, I've been involved in USDF for a very, very, very long time. And the community that we have in our membership is what keeps me coming back. And I think it's what keeps all of our active members coming back. So absolutely. It's, it's a good place to be. Absolutely. Well, Lisa, thank you so much and happy holidays. Thank you. Right after this break from Bates Saddlery, we're going to come back from Vivian Schmidt. She's going to answer a bunch of listener questions about bits. To celebrate the holidays, if you purchase a new Bates Saddle in November or December, you can redeem a free set of Bates Saddles competition luggage. Bates Saddles offer highly specialized saddles for every discipline, engineered to bring out the best in you and your horse. Underneath the finest European leather, you will feel the power of innovation. For you, the rider, enjoy instantaneous comfort, optimal balance, and seamless contact with your horse, leaving you free to concentrate on your aids. For your horse, the care cushion system and the easy change fit solution ensure their absolute comfort and your peace of mind. Revolutionize your riding experience and fulfill your true potential by riding in a bait saddle. Conditions do apply. Visit baitsaddles.com to find out more. That's baitsaddles.com. Well, for this month's bit fitting lecture, we are so happy to have Vivian Schmidt. She is the U.S. Sales and Marketing Director for Hermspringer back on the show. Vivian, welcome back. Thank you so much. And happy holidays. It's coming quick, Indeed. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> It is coming fast. Well, we uh, last month we all talked and we decided we would ask, um, send it out to the auditors 
and ask some big questions from the auditors. And we got a huge response. We're not sure we can get through all of them tonight, but we'll just get started. Phil, what do you think? That sounds great. That sounds great. I think we're going to start with a, a pretty easy one, hopefully a pretty easy one, with how do you accurately measure what size is appropriate? So there are, are two two sizes that we're talking about, right? One is definitely the sort of the width, which we talk about in millimeters. So generally speaking, you have 12, 14, 16, maybe even up to an 18 millimeter, which I have not seen a horse take an 18 millimeter bit in years. <laughs> Maybe ever. <laughs> and that's that one, one that one's, yeah, that, that, that's a pretty thick bit. And so that has to do with, you know, really how much room is in the mouth as far as tongue, flesh, palate. Um, and that's one of those things where you really want to take a look inside your horse's mouth. Um, there's, you know, that's a good time to also talk to your trainer. It's a good time to maybe talk to your vet, especially if you're not familiar with, you know, really what is a thick tongue, what is a low palate. The little bit easier one is um, simply what we refer to mostly as the size of the bit. And that's when we're talking four and three quarters, five inches, five and a quarter, five and a half. And again, I think a couple of years ago, everybody figured, well, five and a half or five and three quarters was just the standard, right? And everybody grabbed one of those and that was just the way it was. But again, with more modern breeding and sort of a bit, a little bit of the refined heads that we're seeing. We're actually seeing horses that, you know, are going in some four and three quarter and five inch bits. There's a couple of different ways to sort of measure that. You can take your regular bit, the one that you're currently using, and just visually look at it. Does it look like it's fit? Does it look like it's too big? Does it look like it's too small? Are there, is any metal hanging out of the corners? You know, things like that, just visually inspecting it. Then if you think, okay, that's a good size take it out and measure it, lay it flat and measure from usually from hole to hole. If you're looking at a loose ring, if you're looking at a fixed cheek, it's from the inside of the fixed cheek to the following inside of the fixed. That makes sense. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. Yeah, no, okay. Good. Yeah. It's hard to bit, but yes, it is. But, but I think, yeah. And then there are, there are tools on the market as well. Springer makes one in cardboard and also in metal. That is sort of a, it almost looks like a U and it has basically a, oh, what are those called? They're like those clips where you can move either side and it, yeah, and it's yeah. in the middle. You can move. Yeah. Clips you can move. Yeah. <laughs> Super technical. Super technical. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, you can make it wider and you can make it more narrow. And so basically what that allows you to do is, is put it from, you know, put it under your horse's cheek so you're not spooking your or chin so you're not spooking the horse and put it from the corner of the mouth, you know, over to the other corner of the mouth and then it'll show you the measurement. The other way is there, there's like just a, a measuring tool on the market, which is basically just a straight bar that has a side piece on the one end so it doesn't slip through the horse's mouth. And you just put that in the horse's mouth, make sure that you move that side piece over so it's snug against the horse's lip. And then you take a look on the other side and it'll show you, um, you know, what the measurement is. Yeah. And I think that's just a tool that every trainer should have a very good Christmas gift. <clears throat> I'm just saying, 
if you need a Christmas gift for your trainer. That's it. Just every brand should have one, you know? Yeah. So there you go. That's, that's on my Christmas. I'm, I'm making a Christmas wish list today. I'm just saying. So awesome. Well, Phil, what's the next question? Well, I think I hear this a lot just, you know, in, well, some, sometimes in internet forums and, and just around the barn, but does the different types of metal really make a difference? And what are, what are you hearing as answers for that? <laughs> well, I, I think it's just really mixed messages, but I mean, yeah, I mean, obvi- I, I think it does. Um, obviously there are some horses have sensitivities to nickel. So right away there, there is a difference, right? If you have a horse that has a very dry mouth or if you have a horse that has very irritated lips, it could be as simple as um, you're using a metal that is, is working against you as far as, you know, almost a, a negative allergic reaction. Then there are metals that, you know, titanium came in on, onto the market a couple of years ago um, people say it's a very inert metal and some horses prefer it possibly because it's lighter and, or because it has a different taste. Then you have the metals that are composites and most of those do contain copper. The copper is in there for oxidation purposes, as well as sort of, it's, it's a nice metal to work with and be able to mold and to form. But really copper is so nice because of the oxidation and it helps horses salivate and swallow and chew and all of those things that we as dressage riders think pretty highly of. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. I and mean, then, of course, I mean, those are and those are metals, right? Then, of course, you yeah. have all the different plastics and you have, I mean, it's and now um, we're seeing a lot of sweet iron, you know, sort of make a comeback as well. So, you know, it, I, I do think it's it's a big experiment and you know, if you really do have a horse that's having true bidding issues, um, it's worth trying a couple of different materials as well as shapes. That makes sense. Well, I mean, in, in my opinion, it's it's just like it it normally doesn't hurt to to get a bit with a little bit of uh, copper in it, and in in many cases, it can help. So, um, I think that the you know, I, I've had a couple of horses, especially thoroughbred types, where I've had to sort of you know, find the right kind of bit and try and find a really soft bit and, and a bit that the horse likes. And, uh, and in those instances, the, you know, the different metal does, does make a difference, you know, and then, you know, like, like I said, I've, you know, just discussions around the barn and stuff. And, and some people were like, well, I tried this bit and it didn't, it didn't help at all, or it didn't do anything at all. And well, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's as many horses as there are bits out there. And, and, you know, if, if you have a difficult one or if you just have a, uh, a horse that, that likes all bits and you're really, really lucky that way, maybe, maybe if you do, you know, go and, and invest in, in a, uh, a Springer bit with the copper in it and the horse is already okay, you know, it's just you're not going to get a huge life-changing bidding. But I think, you know, all these discussions are around horses who are difficult to bid and, and right. we want to help them as much as possible. So that's sort of what right. I... You know, what I, I'm even, I mean, in, in there's also, I, you know, this is, you know, really going down the, the tangent, <laughs> but yeah. I mean, you know, we're seeing leather bits mm-hmm. there, there's a, there, the, I mean, there's, I mean, I know we talk about plastics and I mean, Springer has the duo line as well, but 
I mean, there's true like plastic bits that where even the rings are fixed and they're plastic. That um, is a rather new concept that's on the market as well. Um, and then uh, there's one that's almost like a sponge. Um, really? And <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, so again, it's one of those things and, and the sponge one, I, I don't quite, I can't, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around the sponge one because it's quite thick. Well, it's very thick and I just can't imagine what, what, what that does to the horse's salivation and chewing and tongue and whatever. But, you know, like we're saying, I mean, there's as many horses out there as there are, are bits and, uh, you know, they're all individuals. And, um, if you have a horse that's uncomfortable, of course, as a, an owner, you're going to try, you know, as financially <laughs> as, yeah. as much as you can, you know, within reason. Yeah. Right. And, and this comes into, there are now companies that do bit fitting and I think it's really something, it's a great service that's, that people offer where you can actually try multiple bits in one day. Your trainer may very well have a pretty good selection. I think every trainer kind of does. I kind of have a problem with bits and shoes. I'm not going to lie, but (laughs) you know, I think it is good because it it is something now and, and it's even more now and then in the beginning of my career where people really do put more stock it it makes sense right that you want to have everything fit the saddle the bridle the bit and fit properly um so that's why we're having you know this discussion because bits are it's really kind of an i would say a newer science if you want to say but being able to try different things is so important and so you know it's good i i had a, a student come today and she had quite a thick bit on and i asked her i said why why i mean it, it was a it was a 16 which i don't i don't see 16 now this was a very big horse and it did kind of fit his mouth. But I asked her, I said, well, why, why'd you, why'd you pick that bit? And, and her response, not picking on her, but was, well, it was on eBay cheap. And I was like, right, okay, right. okay all right. So uh, let's, let's have but, a, let's, yeah, I mean, you can have a million reasons, but, but that one is not right. a good reason. That's not a right? good reason. So, so yes, we, we, we had a little bit of a bit talk, which of course I'm, I'm very lucky now that I have a lot of resources when it comes to bit because of my, my friendship uh, with Vivian and, and Heiko at Springer. So I can ask questions, but I will say it's also like this. It's so important to ask questions because it, there are a lot of, a lot of important things. So Phil, do you got another question for us? Of course. This is a good <laughs> one too. Can you please explain the mechanics of a regular snaffle versus a, a double jointed? So I think this is a good question because traditionally it, it was all regular, you know, single jointed snaffles. But now myself and Reese and I think a lot of the other trainers out there are really, really exclusively going to double double jointed KKs. So maybe maybe right. talk about that, Vivian. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that is a great question, and um, it really has to do with the well, again, there's more factors than, than just two, but, but the two biggies and the two that really make a big, big difference is the way and the place where the pressure is distributed. So if you think about, you know, the horse's anatomy and you think about where that bit is within the horse's mouth, it lies on top of the tongue and goes to the, goes, if we start in the middle, It goes from the tongue outward towards the bars and then to the lips, right? So, I mean, that also brings up where do you want the bit to be affecting your horse? Well, generally speaking, you really just are talking to the corners of the mouth, right? If if your horse is through and all is well, 
I mean, that's really what you're talking to. You really are just wanting to touch the horse's, you know, lips on the corners. So one is really where the pressure is distributed. So in a single, you think about the pressure is going to be more distributed and more quickly and more directly goes to the corners of the horse's mouth. Now on the double broken, you have a much more even distribution over the tongue as well. So there you're also having some effect on the horse's tongue, but you're having less pressure on the corners of the mouth, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I've heard, and, and I think this makes sense too, that a single jointed may uh, inadvertently put pressure up towards the horse, the, the palate, the, the roof. Correct. So, so that's very true. So when you take a look at the uh, joint and where the bit basically is welded together and, and again, you have to think, okay, what effect is that going to have when it, you know, how, how does it lie in the horse's mouth? What happens when I take up the reins? What happens when I pull on a rein? And that is very often referred to the nutcracker effect, if you will. And the Springer single joints are all rotated forward. So, um, you know, a, a single jointed Springer bit isn't going to really poke into a horse's palate. But if you take a look at a lot of the different just single jointed bits out there, some of those joints are quite large and some of, and you can definitely tell they're not, you know, rotated forward at all. And on something like that, there is, especially with horses that have a thicker tongue and or a lower palate, the chance that it's going to go up into the horse's palate. So in general, so it just depends on what action the horse likes, right? That's um, well. And so, okay. So on the flip side of that, right. So we, okay. So we say the double jointed is a, is a milder bit because it distributes pressure more evenly over a larger surface area. Okay. I mean, that, that can be said, but it also, because it has that double joint, so now you're, you're putting three pieces of metal into the horse's mouth versus two. So it can, for uber-sensitive horses, also just be too much movement, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it, yeah. some horses are that sensitive where they just don't want that third link in their mouth or that third link just, it's, it, it's almost too much for them. So, you know, those are the, the sensitive beasts <laughs> amongst yeah. us where, where even that might just be too much movement and too much extra noise, if you will, within their mouth. And it then, is, it's such an individual, it's, yeah. it's so fascinating. I just love mm-hmm. it. Like you, mm-hmm. you, you never, you're never done with this topic. <laughs> it's true. No, it's so true. And so I actually, I, I'm, I'm going to tell everybody, I texted Vivian when I was at the USDF convention about a boucher, also called a boucher. Um, and, and we were a bunch of us were talking. So what is the action of the hanging cheek snaffle or the boucher? So it's, it's like, um, any other fixed cheek, you know, it is a fixed cheek bit. And as such, it has a little bit of leverage action and um, also can have some pull pressure. And it, it, it generally is also a very steady bit. Again, when we talk about sensitive horses and we talk about, um, you know, just the general noisiness of a bit, a boucher is generally considered a, a very steady, very quiet bit, but it definitely, because it has the levers, it has, it has additional leverage. 
Fantastic. So, Phil, how about one more question? Okay. Actually, I have two questions. Well, <laughs> one from the page and one one from personal experience. The page. Okay. So. And then, Phil, so you look, have look, you have some reporting to do, by the way. Yes, you have some reporting <laughs> to do. Oh, yes. Okay, well, well, I'm trying to be quick with this question. But okay, you know, okay. A, or you can also just tell me off answer. air, but I'm sure it'd be interesting for us. Yes, others. we want no, we want a full report. <laughs> okay, so the first one is looking online at bits. I see two bits that look exactly the same. Let's say it's a loose ring snaffle. One, mm-hmm. one bit is $30, and yeah. another bit okay. is... Great question. Yep. Great, great question. Yeah, I thought this was great. Yes. Yeah, that's a super good question. So, obviously, it goes back to one of the first questions, which is material use. Um, So, the $30 bid is not going to have the same quality of material as a more expensive bid. Probably also not going to have the anatomical features and the, the, the forming and the shaping of some of the more expensive bits. And then, you know, lastly, which is really important to set Springer is where that bit is made, you know, and a lot of the expensive bits that are also, you know, maybe anatomically correct, maybe have some different metals in them, more expensive than the $30 bit. Still interesting to see where those, those are made. Our, ours are still all made in Germany. By, by yeah. people that have dedicated their career, because I've been to the factory now twice, and, and <laughs> yeah. people, you know, it's amazing, because I, I didn't know the difference either until I went I went to Springer, and it, it's really unbelievable. You have people that this is their life, and this is what they've been uh, trained to do, so it's a really amazing process to watch versus just a factory, you know, they, they know everything is, is soft. And, and the connections well, it's, are it's all still hand, right? It's everything mm-hmm. is still handcrafted. It really, truly is an art form, and well, uh, and that's yeah. what I always say. It's like a opening a when you get a brand new Springer bit and you open that box, it is like opening a piece of jewelry. And I don't mm-hmm. care how many times I have done it and will continue to do it. It never ceases to just awe. You know, you open that blue box and there's just this beautiful handcrafted you know, metal piece of art. It's true. Yeah. What, what yeah. I tell people, it's kind of like buying a Versace purse versus yeah. buying a Versace knockoff. If, yeah. you at, if you look at them on the internet, you, you can sort of say, oh, they look pretty close. And, but if you buy both and, you, and, and then you get it in your hand and you say, well, this leather is totally different. This is the stitching. And, 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 and when it comes to yep. a bit, you're putting it in your horse's mouth. And so it has to well, right. not only look right, but be functional and not hurt the horse or, you know, not pinch the horse, not, and not fall apart in their mouth. So, right. Right. And you have uh, to remember, I, think, I mean, yeah. it's the most, I mean, it's one of the most sensitive, it, it's the, the horse's mouth has, has so many nerve endings and it's such a sensitive, sensitive piece, you know, or, or, or part of the horse's anatomy. And, yeah, we're we're putting you know an an artificial bit into the horse's mouth. We owe it to our horses, you know, to really do our research and to really find a bit that is going to help as much as possible and not cause, like you were saying, you know, not hinder our work. And you know the the engineering of of all the angles and and how the how the bit is put, right. put together is just so important. And that's something that you're not going to be able to see online. And 
sometimes to the naked eye, you can't even necessarily necessarily see it. And, you know, that's why, again, all of our anatomical shaped um, bits also have that arrow on the left-hand side. And that arrow goes on the left-hand side pointing forward because even some of our bits, you know, most of us aren't going to put it in backwards. But when you take a look at it and you, it'd it be pretty easy sometimes to put it in upside down. That's why we have that arrow. And if you put that bit like on your hand, like on the back of your hand where you would normally wear a watch, you can feel the difference in the balance, but you can't necessarily visually see it. And so that's one of those things where, you know, we're putting an arrow on our bit to help people. That's not a difference you're going to see online when you're looking at pictures and saying, what's the difference maybe between these, you know, like you were saying, $30 and $130 bit. Yeah, and like absolutely. a rotation forward and, you know, all of these yeah, yeah. things that, yeah. That went into the building of it. So adding yeah, on to reporting. that, we, we were going to, yeah, we we're going to talk about, um, I was having a little trouble with a horse and Vivian said, oh, we've got a new design, a new thing. This, this might be really great for this horse that we were talking about. And she was nice enough. She sent me the bit to try and I've gotten some really good results on this horse. So yeah, Vivian, tell, tell us about the bit that you sent me and a little bit about uh, kind of a new design. Well, I, why don't you why don't you start and tell me real quick again, or or tell our view our our viewers, <laughs> our listeners, what you had said you were having difficulty with, and and sort okay. of what the issue was. Yeah, so this is one of my six year old horses who um, we were I was transitioning earlier in the year into the double bridle, and normally I you know, go with what I know. And, and, and I had this horse in, uh, just an, a, a normal Springer with a Bemelman's mouth. that I like that has a nice room in it. And I had him in the, you know, I got the right size and that what I thought would be, yeah, it was just, you know, normally pretty straightforward, um, from a, a regular double jointed snaffle into uh, a Burdoon that's double jointed with this Bemelman's mouthpiece. And he was, he was okay. Like, but he just, was really still against the bit and was mouth opening and just, you know, having some issues. So I sort of put the idea of the double bridle away. And then uh, I was able to talk to Vivian about this horse. And, and, and then, and then you said, we've got this new bit. It's got a rotating mouthpiece rather than uh, fixed in, in the way mouth. And, and you said, why, why don't you give it a try? Because it's some horses really like it because it's really even softer than, than this already yeah. soft bit that I'm putting in that I was putting Mm -hmm. in and uh let's see how it goes so yeah so it's it basically has the 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 fixed so so it's a weymouth with unfixed cheeks (laughs) with sort of a revolving with where the side pieces move so it's 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 a it's the most mild sort of best beginning type of uh weymouth that we currently simply because you, you can use, and, and it works independently, right? I mean, normally a, a Weymouth, you know, if, if you pick up the right rein or if you pick up the left rein, it's going to go all the way through and have an effect on the opposite side as well. This one, you can actually have a little bit of independent action right to left, which is pretty revolutionary as far as, you know, the Weymouth is concerned. And it just, it's, it's such a great mild bit that horses that tend to, you know, it's a great introduction to, to a, a Weymouth for sensitive horses. 
and also for, for riders, you know, I'm not saying this is, you know, at all applicable to you, Phil, but you know, it, it takes a while to get used to riding on a double. Um, and a lot of us, and a lot of us are a little afraid of, of the curb, quite frankly, you know, and this sort of helps alleviate some of that fear for the riders as well, because you're not having that, um, you don't have to be as worried as of having that real, and I don't mean it negatively, but you know, that, that immediate reaction. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, you can see it as he's, he's being ridden. Like you can sort of play with the, with the Weymouth rain a little bit. And it doesn't just, it, the bit, the bit itself doesn't really move just the bar, you know, just the, just the side piece. Yep. Yep. The yeah. Just piece. the side piece and not, and, mm-hmm. then, and then he's so much happier having just that, that bit just lies across his tongue. It's not doing anything. And, and you get a little bit of the pole pressure, which is what you want from the double, but not mouth pressure. Yep. And he's so much happier. Yeah. So, yeah. And again, it gives, okay. gives the horse a little bit more of a voice and a little bit more freedom in, in their tongue as well, because, you know, they, they have, they can move that bit a little bit. They, they have a little bit more, um, yeah, a little bit more say with their tongue as far as where they want to put their tongue. If it's uncomfortable, that bit allows them to sort of move their tongue a little bit without, you know, having to gape open their mouth or whatever to try to get away from it because it's just, yeah. it is so mild. Yeah. Well, so, fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. I'm really grateful about that and, and, and solving, solving that horse's issues. And now he's a happy, happy chappy. And he's yay, happy yay. Phil and a happy horse. We love it. So Vivian, what is the Springer website? Cause I know you also have a great frequently asked questions on there as well. How can people find that website? So it is, we have this, the Springer website, both in German <laughs> and in English. Um, yeah. So don't be afraid to go. It's the same address. And then you just have to look for the, 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 it might even be a British. I think it is. Yeah. A, a, a little British uh, flag, uh, actually. Flag, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And it, you, it's just www.springer.de. Yeah. <laughs> and then Springer does a little bit of dog sport as well and a little bit of boat sport. So that's all on there as well. And then the majority obviously is, is going to be um, all about our riding sport and history and yep there's a there's an faq on there there. yeah cool yeah awesome well vivian thank you so much we look forward to our next segment and we hope you have a very happy holidays oh thank you so much take care happy holidays well phil i don't know about you but it's getting a little chilly out and the horses have been a bit wild and i am very (laughs) thankful for my stability stirrup leathers from total saddle fit well, I just wanted to say that if you're looking for a last-minute idea, I think you could still probably get your order in from Total Saddle Fit and have it there maybe before Christmas. But if you're shopping for anybody, you're shopping for your horse, get them or the... you and I. This, or, or what? Or you're you and I, just saying. If you're oh, yeah, if us. somebody wants to send me uh, another girth, <laughs> I, we love these products. We use them every day, and they're fantastic. And Justin from Total Saddle Fit is a great guy, and the products are quality. They're going to last you, and they're going to help you ride better. So go ahead and visit totalsaddlefit.com. Well, fantastic. Well, Phil, for our Total Saddle Fit tip of the week, we have Christy Waisaki. Mm-hmm. 
This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. Well, tonight we are so happy to have Christy Waisaki on the show. She is an FEI four-star judge and a five-star para judge, along with a sport horse judge. She is the co-chair of the sport horse committee for USDF, and she was USDF volunteer of the year. Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be on it. First of all, congratulations on volunteer of the year. That's a big deal. Oh, I appreciate it. It was an honor. It was an unexpected honor, and it was a lot of fun to get to do and dress up. And I haven't done that in a long time, so you look very, very nice. <laughs> you look beautiful. It was it's so fun to see everybody at the banquet all dressed up because uh, we never see each other like that at all, typically. So that was I know, a lot I th- of. Fun. I think there were several people who didn't recognize me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad, but we'll, we'll just go with good on that for sure. Well, we are, are so happy to have you on the show and that's such an honor. And you, you gave several presentations at the, at the convention and I was really lucky to hear a lot of them. And so can you tell us a little bit what's going on with the sport horse committee? Yeah, the sport horse committee is the committee for USDF that handles all the programs for the young horses from the time of birth, up through about three, four years old. And then we also do programs for breeding stock, the mares and the stallions also. So we have quite a few. We have a competition program that is in addition to the dressage shows. They're called the dressage sport horse shows. They can be held with a dressage show or they can be held standalone. But they're shows where the youngsters that we call the sport horse prospects can go and compete in hand, and then the breeding stock can also compete in hand to show their movement and their confirmation related to being a dressage horse. And then we also have what we call the material division in that sport, and that is under saddle classes where the horses are evaluated for strictly their gates and their rideability as a dressage horse. They don't really ride a test in the class. They just ride all three gates and the judge evaluates each of the gates. And then they also watch the horse's rideability, the temperament, how they, you know, the rapport they have with the rider and that kind of thing. So we have both in hand and under saddle portions to our competitions. And then we have nine breeder series finals throughout the country. They're somewhat aligned with the USDF regions, but their boundaries are just a little bit different. God forbid we should all be on the same <laughs> exact stage, right? So we had to be I was thinking that. And put our boundaries in a little separate area, you know. Um, <laughs> but they're they're similar to the regions of, of the USDF regions. But there's nine of them. And uh, each year there's a breeder series final in each of those areas. As of 2020, we were excited to let everybody know in the past, a horse had to qualify in the same series where they wanted to go to the final. And now in 2020, the horses can qualify at any qualifying competition, and then they can go to the final of their choice, whether it's attached to that same series or not. So that's going to give our competitors more flexibility to go where they want and not feel kind of um, a little bit more pinned in as to what they do. So that's kind of exciting for us this year. And then so, the horses. Uh, have- sorry, Christy, I just wanted to, 
I just wanted to jump in here um, mm-hmm. before we, we move on too far. I just wanted to, uh, maybe you could talk about how the classes are separated. It, it's age groups, right? And the material class yes, is that? It is. Material yeah, class is for three-year-olds only? Or, yeah, let's mm-hmm. talk a little bit about if you had a horse and, and you wanted to enter into one of these shows, how would, yeah. The in-hand classes are specifically by age for those four-horse prospects. So there's classes for the current year foals, classes for the yearlings, the two-year-olds and the three-year-olds. And the girls and the boys never compete against each other until they are in a championship class. So, for instance, yearlings, the fillies will never compete against the colts and the geldings until they go to a championship. And then they can they can com- compete like young horse champion or something like that. Then for the older horses in hand, we have the breeding stock classes. We have classes for mares, and they might be divided between a brood mare and maiden mare, or they might be combined. That's up to the show. And then we also have stallion classes. Those classes are for horses that are four and older. And they are judged slightly different because they're judged as horses that are breeding for the sport. So we have to be a little bit more strict with them in terms of if they have, for instance, a confirmation fault. The material classes, the riding classes, those classes are for three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and five-year-olds. And again, the girls and the boys don't compete against each other until they get into a championship-type situation. So um, uh, if I wanted to take my three-year-old filly and get some experience for that um, filly, she's maybe two, three months under saddle, the material class is a super place to do that because they don't have to ride a test and they come in the ring as a group. So hopefully if the show has multiple horses enter, the young horse gets to come in the arena, that scary white box, <laughs> with friends. And they, they so they have friends with them to keep them a little bit more secure. And they also don't have to ride a test, so it's easier for them. So it gives them a good introduction to the show experience without the difficulties of riding a test. And, yeah. and they don't have to be perfect, right, in these classes. They can be a little bit, you know, obviously they can't impact their performance too much, but they don't have to be perfect, right? You don't have to have a perfect four-year-old to go, right? Oh, I'm glad you brought that point up because that is really important. No, they do not have to be perfect at all. They, we're looking for the best that they can show us while they're in the ring. So if they, for instance, they're trying to pick up the left lead canner and they they pick up the right lead canner, that's not unusual for a three- or four-year-old. Then the rider just brings them down and picks the lead back up and off they go. That mistake, if you want to call it that, that doesn't really play into their score at all. If they were to never pick up one lead, then we would have to take that into account in the canner score. But they can have, you know, they can, especially the three-year-olds, they might disconnect from the connection for a minute or they might spook momentarily because something happens outside the ring or the judge standing at the ends looks scary or whatever. It, that, that's not really a big factor in it. When we're evaluating their gait, we do score all three in the material, the walk, the drop, and the canner. 
and we must watch the horses go both ways. But when I give the score, I'm giving the best quality trot I saw while they were in the ring and the best quality walk I saw. In the canner, we do have to average the left lead with the right lead. But again, I averaged the best of the left lead I saw and the best of the right lead. So even if I only see maybe six strides of a spectacular trot, I can still give that horse the score for that trot. Because we don't expect a three-year-old to be able to maintain an amazing trot for two and a half minutes. They're not strong enough yet to do that. No, I think because you gave a really great lecture about this and it was really, it was good to hear that and, and, and see that. So I, I really felt that that was really important. And um, there is a, also a general impression in the material. And so if the horse is continually naughty or they just absolutely don't want anything to do with the connection or something like that, that would go into the general impression that the the trainability is a little bit question mark at this point. But usually if they just do one or two things, that those mistakes, they aren't a big deal and they're not a big factor in it. And that's an important thing I hope for our judges to remember. Cool. Excellent. And, and Chrissy, there also was a, a great, and I didn't even know what, what this was, there was a Breeder of Distinction Award that was, this was the first time it happened, right? Yeah, this was our inaugural year to present this award. The Sport Horse Committee has worked um, quite hard for about the last four or five years to develop this award. Uh, we wanted to come up with a way to recognize our breeders in this country that have continually done well as a breeder and have continually produced dressage horses that are quality for our sport. And so the, the award is it's kind of a parallel concept to the rider bronze, silver, and gold medal. We call it the bride, the breeder of distinction award. And there is a bronze, silver, and gold medallions that are awarded. And to get these awards, they have to do well, both in the in-hand classes and the material classes. And to get the gold, they also must do quite well in some of the championships. And so it was really exciting this year. We actually had 62 awards given out, including 12 gold stallions. So it was really, it was an exciting year for us for this award to get started. Wow, that is fantastic. Well, Christy, if if people have more questions about these awards, how can they find more more information online? They are on the USDF website. Um, If you type in Sport Horse, um, the Breeder Series Final, uh, the Breeder of Distinction, there also are awards like the, they give um, year-end awards for the Horse of the Year for the current year full, the yearling, the two-year-old, et cetera, stallion, mare, those kind of things. And then also the liaison for this part of the sport is Stacey Durham at the USD office and people could always contact her and they could also contact myself or my co-chair Natalie DiBerardinas too, if they have any questions and want more information. We have amazing education programs too, that people who really want to become strong breeders need to do, or just someone who wants to go buy their own horse and wants to know more about the confirmation movement of a dressage horse before they go shopping. 
Absolutely. Yo, your, your material is fantastic. And there's lots of articles and it's really, really good information. Like you said, it's everybody needs to take a look at it. And not, not just because if you're breeding, because we're all riding them at some point and, it, and it's great information. And Christy, if people want to contact you on your website, how can they do that? My website is christywysockydressage.com and uh, my email and phone number are on there if people want to find more out about me. And if anybody has any questions about the sport horse part of dressage and USDF, please feel free to reach out to us because there's, there's a lot of programs out there that people don't even realize that exist and we're happy to help and get you headed in the right direction. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much, Christy. And again, congratulations on Volunteer of the Year. Everybody can see why you won that award because you do so much work for the sport and we really appreciate it. Oh, well, I thank you very much. And thanks for having me on your program. Well, Phil, we are loving the email and Facebook shout outs we're getting. We're also loving all the, we, we really do when we're at, at, when I was at convention, uh, when we're at competitions, we'd love it when everybody says hi to us, keep it up. It really makes our day why we do the show. So we enjoy it. So keep the email and Facebook shout outs coming. The United States Dressage Federation is your connection to dressage education, competition, and achievement. Visit usdf.org for more information. That's usdf, www.usdf.org, the online destination for dressage. You can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com, and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to find me is on Facebook, or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors for allowing us to put on the show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we'll talk to you next week. (laughs) 